Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends, some very exciting news. I've got a new book coming out. It comes out in March, but copies are available now or very soon. It's called From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. And just like it sounds, it's my story. All about uh, growing up in a small town in Delaware, how I ended up on national television from that little start, which took me through the seminary, studying for the priesthood, to California, working for Jerry Brown, doing TV in L.A., coming back to Washington for CNN for Crossfire in the Spin Room on MSNBC with Pat Buchanan. It's been a great run, a lot of fun, met a lot of great people, had a lot of interesting experiences, and I wanted to share it all with you, tell that story. And we do here, Bill Press, From the Left, Copies available right now. You can order a signed copy. If you go to our website, BillPressShow.com, with a 40% discount, the book will cost you only $16.79, BillPressShow.com. And the first 100 of you who order uh, from the left will also get a free signed copy of one of my earlier six books. You know, to sum it all up, uh, the great Henry Miller once said, So whether the world is going to pieces or not, Whether you are on the side of the angels or the devil himself, take life for what it is. Have fun, spread joy, and confusion. I've tried to do that all of my life. This is the story of it. Bill Press from the left. Get your copy today. Go to BillPressShow.com. Hey, folks, here we go. It's a big Wednesday, Wednesday, February 7. How about it? The Bill Press Show, good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us and being here as we take you hopscotch through the news of the day. Everywhere we are, uh, everywhere, you got anything going on? We're right there for you, with you, taking a look at the news of the day from our nation's capital, from Washington, D.C. That's where you find us. Around the country and around the globe, we are everywhere as you are everywhere, online, on TV, on radio, with the big stories of the day, yes, indeed, uh, maybe number one story. What a great, great scene yesterday as that um, big Falcon Heavy SpaceX takes off from Cape Canaveral uh, with a hugely successful mission which changes the whole future of uh, space exploration uh, in this country. Uh, You and I, taxpayers, aren't going to have to pay for it all anymore, although we should pay, certainly, uh, our fair share of space exploration. That is our future. Uh, And here in Washington, D.C., meanwhile, while uh, Elon Musk can get things done, uh, members of Congress and the president can't get anything done. They're still squabbling over whether or not we're going to have another government shutdown, which, yes, indeed, haven't we been there not so long ago, could happen as soon as tomorrow. Tomorrow is when the government runs out of money yet again. So much to talk about, so much you're going to want to weigh in on. 
Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Ready, set, go to jump into the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. But we will continue to follow the saga of Steve Wynn, one of the biggest casino magnates in all of Las Vegas. Well, yesterday he stepped down as the CEO of Wynn Resorts. That is his own company. They said that he is, according to Steve Wynn, quote, I have found myself the focus of an avalanche of negative publicity. I mean, yeah, shock. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what happens after you get that. Uh, he brought it all on multiple uh, harassment claims brought against you. So he is stepping down. Now, remember, he has donated millions to the Republican Party. The Republicans are not necessarily giving the money. Oh, back. no, of course not. They no, said they no. want to wait until the investigation happens. Uh huh. Yeah. Just like they did with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, yeah, right? just like they did with Harvey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying no. give the money back immediately. By the way, you know, I don't know whether you saw the Salt Lake City Tribune had this story on Steve Wynn documented everything everything buttoned up like back in the 90s yeah and they killed the story oh wow really killed the story Jeez. yeah and now the salt and they've come out now and fessed up and said we had the story we didn't run it uh, you know why? Because he was so powerful yeah, in yeah, Las I mean, Vegas. They didn't dare take him on. He really was one of the most powerful men in Las Vegas. And frankly, one of the most powerful men in all of entertainment when you think of totally. how many people totally. just, yeah. like, set up shop there in Las Vegas. We go to Davidson County, North Carolina. There was a sheriff's deputy who was fired on Tuesday. Now, I just want to make sure that I, I want to put this out there. I'm okay with him being fired. He was fired because he robbed a bank in a neighboring county. Oh, oh now, well, no, but was it his own county, though? It wasn't his own county. That's okay. Uh, good point. Yeah, the uh, sheriff's deputy by the name of Jeff Athey was accused of robbing a bank in Rockwell. He robbed it at gunpoint last week. Uh, he was immediately taken into custody. He is currently being held. Uh, charges are coming against the man, but he has for sure lost his job. And like Willie Sutton, they asked him, why do you rob banks? And he said, that's where the money is. That's where the money is. That's where the money is. <laughs> and, uh, I love that. Valentine's Day is coming up, and there are some restaurants oh. offering some special deals. For example, this one in Boston. If you go in and you sit down and you order a $3,000 meal for you and your sweetheart, it comes with a burger, fries, and an engagement ring. So $3,000, I guess most of that goes towards the price of the ring. Yeah, but you should be able to pick out your ring, not you just get so. it you know, in with your fries. Right. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you. The Bill Press Show on a Wednesday right here in the middle of the week, Wednesday, February 7. Hello, 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 and welcome. We welcome you uh, on board the uh, Bill Press Express as we head out from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to join you wherever you are in this great land of ours early on this Wednesday, early or late, whenever you're watching. Whether you're joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, whether you're sitting at home or at the office watching on television on Free Speech TV, whether you're rolling along in the car on your way to work out in the Chicago area, 
or just getting up, getting to the office out in Chicago on WCPT. Hello, hello. And in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana on Indiana Talks. Hello as well. Lots to, lots to cover today here with the uh, Bill Press Show. We've got a great lineup of guests, including uh, that dynamic uh, young congressman, uh, Ted Lou from California. He'll be here in studio with us, as will Alex Seitzwald from uh, MSNBC. And we're going to check in first with uh, Common Cause and the chief of strategy for Common Cause. Uh, very, very active in uh, reapportionment battles leading into these midterms of 2018, and particularly for the uh, 2020 election. Uh, Stephen Spaulding from Common Cause will be joining us. And it's good to have you with us. We come to you today again from Washington, but we come to you today starting off with some good news. Damn it. Let's talk about all the things that are going wrong. What a great bit of good news yesterday. Uh, just uh, incredible Incredible to see that uh, Falcon Heavy, they call it, right? SpaceX launch from Cape Canaveral, flawless launch. It was incredible. That powerful thing had like 27 engines under it. They all lit up at the same time. Uh, here's what it sounded like, uh, the countdown out at SpaceX headquarters just outside of Los Angeles. Three, two, one. You can see there's a little delay there while they're making sure that that baby goes up. And when it was pretty clear that it was a totally successful launch, the crowd just went wild, as did the crowd down at Cape Canaveral. But I'd love to see one of those launches sometime. I never have. But standing, you saw all these people standing on the beach there in the, on the wet sand. And, uh, and they said there's nothing like seeing one of them uh, in purpose and just hearing uh, those sonic booms as it goes up. So that baby uh, went went right out there, and its payload was, which is so great. Remember, this is the <coughs> the creation of that absolute genius, Elon Musk. By the way, why isn't Elon Musk our president? You know, why do we have somebody like that who can get things done? He can't afford the pay cut. Well, that's tr true, but you know, he he, he can certainly work for nothing too. But, I mean, in addition to the Tesla, forget the flamethrower, but in addition to the Tesla, uh, which is an incredible, beautiful car, um, revolutionized the electric car business, and SpaceX, what else has he got going? I don't know. He's, I'm still hung up on the flamethrowers, Bill. With the, on the flamethrowers, Well, we got the yeah. Hyperloop. The Hyperloop, yeah. Which, I mean, uh, is he, he is such a visionary, and really he talks about you know, getting people to live on Mars, getting people to live on the moon, he'll do it. If he lives long enough, he'll do it. Or he'll put the plans in place to do it. And this is sort of the first step. He said, you know, NASA's got this, but we could build our own, a private company. We could we could raise the money. We could build our own. And he's done it. And now there are five or six companies, like Jeff Bezos has one, moon something, I forgot what it's called. But anyhow, um, but, but uh, Elon Musk, far ahead, uh, so his payload is, just to have some fun, a red Tesla sports car with a mannequin behind the wheel. On the dashboard, it says, don't panic. <laughs> uh, and this Tesla is now in orbit with a mannequin with his hand on the wheel and David Bowie playing. 
as it circles. And it's going to be, according to the New York Times this morning, it will be orbiting the sun for hundreds of millions of years. Right? So Elon Musk was asked yesterday about uh, by reporters, so um, what's the deal with this uh, uh, Tesla? And he just basically says, hey, you know, got to have fun. Maybe discovered by some future alien race thinking, what the heck, what, what were these guys doing? Did they worship this car? <laughs> <laughs> you got to wonder. But the shots of that car with the earth in back of it and the Vatican just driving around, rolling around, it is incredible. And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, what impressed me the most, I couldn't believe it. So this thing had three side rockets, right, that helped it get up, get out into orbit. And then the side rockets... NASA hasn't been able to do this. SpaceX can do it. The side rockets, they got a prog- they have them programmed, so they go up, do their job, and then they come back to Earth. And those two side rockets landed almost side by side and almost simultaneously right on their landing pad at Cape Canaveral. They what? went out into space, came back, and landed right on target on those landing pads. Did you see them? Oh, yeah. Side by side, just coming down. I couldn't believe it. What's amazing to me is... Unbelievable. You know, they've been doing this, and they've been practicing and and doing runs on this for a while, and there were several attempts that it didn't work. Yeah. And that wasn't that that long ago. No, they had a big blow-up, remember? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking, like, two years ago. Yep. Uh, they they had a big problem with getting the getting the rockets back or getting the boosters back down to to Earth, and the amount of progress that they've made in that very short period of time is stunning. It is. It is. So the third side rocket, by the way, wasn't lost. It was supposed to land. I, I, this is again incredible. It was supposed to land on a barge out in the ocean, and what happened is there was a malfunction of one of the engines didn't fire. And so it landed, like, alongside of the barge in the water. Well, they'll get it, though. You know, it's not lost forever. But it came it came that close. I mean, God. It's, it's just, amazing. So it just, so what a, what a, what a great day uh, for space and what a great day for uh, Elon Musk. What a great day for humanity. I mean, he's sort of like the Christopher Columbus or the Michelangelo of our time, I think, you know, in terms of forever impact. Um, what a what a what a genius! Uh, now again, first step toward getting um, colonies on the moon and getting colonies uh, on Mars. Sign me up. Sign me up. Elon Musk will do it. So that's one bit of good news. There's another bit of good news. Believe, believe it or not, out of the the blue wave continues. This is incredible. In Missouri, you know, we've seen associate in a show in associate from the uh, DNC was here with us yesterday, pointing out that since Donald Trump has been elected, there were 34, 34 state legislative seats that had been flipped from red to blue since Donald Trump's been elected. 34. I think Republicans have failed, uh, well, they failed in all those cases, but they haven't flipped any from blue to red. Democrats, 34. And they're, they're, they include states like Oklahoma, Iowa, Wisconsin, where you don't necessarily expect, particularly in red districts, for that to happen. Well, chalk up another one. It's now 35. Last night in the state of Missouri, Jefferson County, 
the state House seat number 97. Get this. Donald Trump carried it in 2016 by 28 points. Damn. Democrat won it yesterday by three points in the Missouri House. I hope that one hurts. I, I hope that hurt him. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, and that should give a little cheer to uh, Claire McCaskill, who's up for re-election in Missouri this year. But anyway, that's a big win, a big win. So chalk up 35 since Donald Trump became president, 35 legislative seats. And we'll be talking to a head of Common Cause here in a little bit about how important those state legislative seats are uh, in this whole 2018 uh, and looking forward to uh, to 2020. Uh, Democrat's name was Mike Nevis. Uh, or Revis, can't read my own writing. Uh, at any rate, I think he's 27 years old. He is now the new uh, member of the Missouri House from House seat number 97 in Jefferson County. Uh, yes, and um, not such good news. We are now on the brink of uh, <clears throat> uh, another shutdown. And uh, it's very interesting now, Washington. So one thing you've got to say, there's not as much tension, there's not as much acrimony, there's not as much, you know, pointing fingers and everything on Capitol Hill. Actually, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are trying to work out a plan whereby they might even keep the government open for a year or more, right? My God. Imagine. Imagine. But at least they're working towards it. It may not work. Deadlines tomorrow night at midnight. Uh, the House yesterday passed a, a silly bill, a bill that's not going anywhere. It'll never get through the Senate. They know that. This is one of those message bills. Uh, the House bill they passed yesterday would uh, keep, uh, would increase, <laughs> I love this, they would boost military spending because God knows the Pentagon's running out of money. Oh, Jesus, if anybody needs more money, it's the Pentagon. So they would boost military spending for eight months but they would keep domestic spending at the same level, but only until March 23rd. <laughs> who's going to buy that piece of crap? Nobody. Nobody in this. So they just pass that. It's meaningless. Totally meaningless. Goes over to the Senate. The Senate will, will come up with its own plan. Uh, but So they're, at least on the Hill, they are trying to work something out. Meanwhile, down at the White House, Donald Trump is begging, begging for a shutdown. Calling for a shutdown again. If I don't get my wall, he, he had a little meeting yesterday, yet again, to talk about MS-13. If there were no MS-13, Donald Trump wouldn't have anything to talk about because he can't talk about the Dow anymore, although Dow came back yesterday, but you know now he knows up and down. Uh, so at any rate, Donald Trump uh, using the MS-13 thing again to make the point that everybody, every immigrant who comes in the country is a mass murderer. Of course, we know that. Uh, and we got to shut it down. If I don't get my wall, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. Donald Trump. I will tell you, I would shut it down over this issue. If we don't straighten out our border, we don't have a country. Without borders, we don't have a country. God, how many times have we heard that nonsense? Okay, again, do you want to, are you saying you want to shut it down? If we don't change it, let's have a shutdown. We'll do a shutdown, and it's <laughs> worth it for our country. I'd love to see a shutdown if we don't get this stuff taken care of. Okay, now fast forward to the briefing yesterday afternoon. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, so, are you saying uh, that is the president really calling for a government shutdown? We are not advocating for the shutdown. That's the fault of the Democrats not being willing to do their jobs. The president wants a long term deal and he wants to get a deal on immigration. And we hope that Democrats will come to the table and get those things done. Hmm. 
I'm confused. Can we play that again? I thought I heard Donald Trump say something a little differently. I'd love to see a shutdown. Oh. We are not advocating for the shutdown. All right, which is it? I'd love to see a shutdown. What? I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, get come your come on, guys. Get your stuff together, at right? At least try and be good at your BS. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Gosh, that's just. I'd love to see a shutdown. But they're not advocating. We are advocating a shutdown. Come on. Yeah. You know what? Here's the best news about that at all. When all of that, when that news reached Capitol Hill, you know what? Basically, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer basically said, "Who cares?" They they just totally ignored what Donald Trump said. I mean, they've, they, they've learned not to take him seriously. They can't take him seriously because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, right? Uh, and nobody around him does either. So part of this will be, I mean, you know, do you think they're going to take care of the, in the meantime, take care of the dreamers? No, they're going to put that off as long as they can because the deadline Donald Trump gave Congress is March 5. So there'll be nothing done on the dreamers uh, between between now and tomorrow night for sure. Um, and not helping matters. Chief of Staff John Kelly, I'm sorry, uh, President John Kelly uh, came <laughs> up to uh, Capitol Hill yesterday. Uh, this guy ought to just shut up. You know, he does not help things at all. I think what we're finding out about John Kelly is, um, you know, you, you just can't take a general from the Pentagon and put him in charge and think that he's going to because he was a half-decent general, I guess, that he's going to be good at everything else or that he knows anything about governing or he knows anything really about running the country or he knows anything about keeping his mouth shut. I mean, and one, and, and we know for sure that John Kelly is like a the ultimate hardliner when it comes to immigration. He and Stephen Miller, and they're the ones, every time that Donald Trump looks like he's ready to make a deal, with Schumer or Mitch McConnell or anybody about resolving the immigration crisis, then Steve Miller and John Kelly run into the Oval Office and say, oh, no, Mr. President, you can't do that, again, because all immigrants are mass murderers. So John Kelly was asked about the uh, uh, the uh, Dreamers yesterday. Why are there, if there are maybe a total population of 1.8 million estimated, why are only some 800 uh, in the program uh, John Kelly says, oh, uh, that's easy. The difference between 690 and 1.8 million were the people that some would say were too afraid to sign up, others would say were too lazy. Oh, too lazy. To get off their asses, but they didn't sign up. Um, so the president uh, shockingly said, okay, 1.8 million, and then probably the biggest shock was uh, in, in a path to citizenship. You know, it wasn't. Wow, man. Wow. It wasn't that long ago uh, that people like Jesse Helms and and Jeff Sessions, that's what they were saying about uh, black people, African-Americans. Yeah, yeah. The reason uh, they were not among the top 1%, the reason they weren't doing better, they were just too lazy. Yeah. I mean, that racist, that racist language, that racist attitude, it is back, it is back front and center in the Trump administration. It's the most racist thing you can say about Latino or any, any people, any race, uh, and there's John Kelly saying about yesterday, um, n- you know, <laughs> no, that's not the reason. The reason more young Latinos or old Latinos don't want anything to do with any government program is because they're afraid when they sign up and give the government all of their information, the next thing you know, they're going to be on a bus back to Mexico. There's a very real 
fear based on very real experiences why some people don't trust federal agencies or government, period, our government, period, whether it's city or state or federal, and certainly not ICE and not necessarily immigration people. They've seen their families broken up and split apart and deported, but, oh, no, John Kelly says they're just lazy. They're just lazy. You know, we sit around watching TV all the time. We Mm -hmm. see this often on the show. They're saying the quiet part loud. I think that Republicans for a long time have held that belief that they should deport these people because they're lazy and they're freeloaders and they're glomming off of our system, right? Like you, you hear that language the way that they use it is a way of not so delicately, but there's at least an attempt to be delicate about saying they're lazy. And John Kelly just says the quiet part loud again. Oh, yeah. He just comes yeah. right out and says yeah. they're lazy. Because they are ultimately racist. Pramila, yeah, you good, can't hide it. Our good friend, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington State, uh, she called it out yesterday and said it's disgusting, but here's exactly what they're doing. Let us be clear that this president has continued to fuel the flames of racism and hatred at every turn. And he's taken a hammer to the moral compass of our nation. Yep. yep. Couldn't say it any better. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And by the way, I'm sure uh, that uh, John Kelly is one of those voices who is urging the president on. Here is the latest. Are you ready for this? Just what we need. Um, It's reported this morning that uh, we know last July. um, And by the way, you know, I'm a Francophile and I speak French and I love the French and I can't go to Paris often enough. And I kind of used to like Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, until he invited Donald Trump over there for the uh, 14th of July uh, celebration in Paris, which still, believe it or not, for a civilized country like France, I find uh, kind of embarrassing. Uh, And they ought to be ashamed that they still have a big military parade where they march all of their troops and their big equipment and rockets and whatever they got, tanks and who knows, uh, down the Champs-Élysées. Well, Donald Trump was so impressed with that, he came back and ever since has said he wants his own. We need our own military parade. That's what we need. Well, it turns out they are actually planning one for maybe this summer, end of the year, maybe July, August, September, here in Washington, D.C., that Donald Trump would get to stand there and watch the rockets, the tanks, the soldiers all march by and salute their commander-in-chief. This is nonsense. This is something I would hope. To, I mean, look, Ray, Ronald Reagan didn't do that. George Bush didn't do that. They would not do that. We are not a country that feels that we're not the Soviet Union, right? We're not Russia. We don't have to—we're not— You know what? We're not North Korea. This is a Kim Jong-un move on the part of Donald Trump. And I would hope, finally, that members of Congress and the the American public would stand up and say, hell no, enough of your toys, enough of your need to satisfy your ego by having some big freaking military parade in your honor. No, no. No, no. And for sure, if you want it, you pay for it. If you've got so many billions of dollars, 
which we don't believe anyhow, then you pay for it. But American t taxpayers, you know, the last time we had a military parade, by the way, was 1991. I saw this morning it cost something like $10 million. Well, that's th that, that's— By the way, no, it didn't. It cost a lot more than <laughs> yeah, that. It cost a lot you right. know damn well it did. I, I was reading this story last night, and they were talking about how to do a military parade of this magnitude here in Washington, D.C., you have to bring in military equipment from all over the country and, yeah. and yeah. in some instances, all over the world. Yes, yes. And just the transportation of securely moving all of that stuff here to the Washington, D.C. area so that we can have a parade so that okay. Trump can stand also, in front of it would cost. Oh, I mean, no. you can't even Tons. imagine. Tons. You can't even imagine how much Tons. it would cost. But if they say it costs, whatever, 8 to $10 million, they're just talking about probably the costs that day to yeah. security in D.C. They're yep. not talking about what you're talking about. All that trans, all the planning, all the transportation, all that. But and what's the point? What is the point? Do you really think that anybody doubts that we got the biggest freaking military ever on the planet? Any? Do you think anybody doubts? Do you think by rolling these tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue? It's going to change anything, or what is the you know what the message is? We have too much money to burn, and we're a militaristic, warmongering, war-hungry people. That's the message. Yeah, that's not a message that we want to send to the world. No, and again, we don't have to. Nobody doubts the strength of the U.S. military. I mean, they see it all the time around the world. Uh, and they saw it in Iraq, and they saw it in Afghanistan, and they're seeing it in Yemen, and they've seen it, you name it, right? Uh, so th this is this is this is just Donald Trump's crazy ego out of control. You know, we, and, and no nobody should 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 just stroke that ego anymore, yeah. right? No, so enough is enough. Just, just okay, enough silly games. Shut it down. It's crazy. I think that a lot of people are still grappling with, like, how the hell did we get here with Donald Trump, right? And and I get that. And people say, like, I can't believe that we elected someone who is a legitimate white supremacist as president. I can believe that just given the history of yeah. the country and the history of racism that this country is sort of built on. Like, I, I get that. I hope it's the dying throes of it, but I get that. But when I saw the military parade story, I just said, like, uh, this is not us. Like, this is not who we are as a country. Like, I, I get a no, lot of the other criticisms, but this is just something that we just don't This is do. not. This is not who we are as a country, right. Uh, and um, I just, you know, okay, again, this this is, this is I'm, I've said this so many times before, Kim Jong-un Jong and Donald Trump are the same person. Bad hair. Absolutely, clinic, clinically insane, and would not be where they are except for their father. I and, mean, yeah, and they're both six foot three, two hundred thirty nine pounds, right? right. <laughs> Something like that. And either one of them, at any moment, could take this in, could take us into World War Three, into a nuclear war. That is what's shocking. Uh, take a quick break here, but finally, before we do, uh, kudos to Joe Biden. Joe Biden yesterday. Uh, summing it up, I thought, in uh, uh, the perfect phrase, uh, he was asked whether or not he thinks that Donald Trump should meet with special counsel Robert Mueller. Well, of course, legally he should, but if you were attorney, you would have to advise him not to because Donald Trump cannot 
does not know the difference between a truth and a lie. He lies more than he tells the truth. Uh, as Joe Biden put it yesterday, I don't think it would be a good idea for Donald Trump. If I were his attorney, I would advise him not to meet with the special counsel, Robert Mueller, because, says the former vice president, Donald Trump has, quote, some difficulty with precision. <laughs> that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? I think that nails it. Yeah. Some difficulty <laughs> with precision. In other words, he lies. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a pathological liar. All right. Redistricting is big, a lot, depending on it. Common Cause is right on top of it. Uh, Stephen Spaulding, Chief of Strategy for Common Cause, joins us next year in studio. So stay right there with us. We're just getting started on the Bill Press Show Wednesday, February 7th. I'd love to see a shutdown. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, here we go. Back again here on The Bill Press Show this Wednesday, February 7th. So good to see you today. As we come to you live coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and of course joining you on the radio, on television, and online uh, with a very, very special deal for you. I'm telling you, have we got a deal for you today? Here it is. A copy of my new book it comes out March 20. Uh, call, it's my memoir, So Far. It's the story of So Far. Had a great run so far, a lot, lot, lot more time to go. Um, but so far, the story of what I've been up to, Bill Press, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Um, and we are uh, offering it up to you, uh, all of our viewers, all of our listeners, for a very special price, 40% off the list price for sixteen seventy nine. If you just go to our website at billpressshow.com. Uh, you will find, uh, among many stories that it talks about, here on the cover is a blurb by Bernie Sanders, who says, quote, the tale of an engaged and often outraged citizen who loves his country and wants to see it move forward in a progressive direction. Uh, he's talking about me. Thank you, Bernie. And one of the big things you'll see, the final chapter in this book, is all about how the Bernie, cam Bernie Sanders campaign for president got started where? in our living room right here on Capitol Hill over uh, a beef stew that uh, Carol uh, fixed for dinner one night. The whole story is here and why I thought it was so important to uh, endorse Bernie and get behind Bernie in the 2016 campaign in the primary at any rate. So that's just one of the many stories told here in uh, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire Again. Uh, and the first 100 of you who sign up for the book get another free book a copy of one of my earlier books also signed uh, for free in addition to uh, From the Left. So it's a twofer. <laughs> Go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Sign up today so you can be one of those first 100 who get, uh, I don't know, I hope there's some left, uh, a copy of one of my earlier books. Thank you for that. Um, you'll have, uh, it's fun. You'll have, you'll enjoy it. Now, to the important business of the day, and one of the most important considerations we've talked a lot about on the show is redistricting gerrymandering, reapportionment, all coming up again in 2020. Common Cause is all over it. They've been taking the lead on this. And uh, Stephen Spaulding is the Chief of Strategy and External Affairs with Common Cause. 
uh, joining us in studio. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Thanks for having so, me. So, um, first of all, what's Common Cause been up to? You've been around now for a long time. Yeah, right? we're coming up on our 50th anniversary, Whoa. actually. So Whoa. we were founded in 1970, so we're preparing for 50 years of you know fighting for a open, honest, accountable uh, uh, democracy. Yeah, good. I yeah. hope you have a, um, a big celebration in mind. So remind me, who's who started Common Cause? Common Cause was founded by John Gardner, uh, who served in the Johnson administration, uh, went on to found Common Cause, 100,000 people immediately joined, 200,000. You know, we're now over a million members. Uh, we're no nonpartisan. Yeah, yeah. We maintain our nonpartisan credentials. We're chaired by Robert Reich. He's our board chair. We're proud to Is have him. Is he really? Yeah, oh, we're yeah. proud to have him. We've had Republican and Democrat board chairs um, 35 state offices all across the country um, fighting at the state level, but also the federal level and continuing to fight for, you know, open, honest, accountable government. That's uh, our mission. Robert Reich, former labor secretary right. for uh, for Bill Clinton, uh, a good friend. And Robert Reich happens to live in a little village called Inverness, California, uh-huh. where I live. Uh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you he's, go. He's a neighbor. Uh, and he has a new in, book coming out. Inverness. Oh, he, yeah. he pops them out like every six months. Yeah, and I a think. new Netflix documentary. Uh, that just came out too. So yeah, he's a great, great guy. Yeah, we're really. proud and to have the, him as leader. and one of the best uh, economic minds, right, uh, in the in in the in the country. Um, so, um, how how critical is this whole issue? First of all, just in general of redistricting reapportionment. Well, I think it's or, essential. I mean, I think it goes to the heart of American democracy, at the heart in our case in North Carolina of the First Amendment, the right to vote. You know. A baseline principle in our country is <laughs> yeah, should be that you know everyone has a voice and that every vote counts equally. And when you have these you know politicians drawing the lines, controlling the process, choosing their voters rather than voters choosing their politicians, you know it just screws up that principle. So yeah. you're you know a lot of voters are saying why even bother? Why participate? My vote doesn't count. So we've got to straighten this out. There's a number of cases before the Supreme Court right now. I mean, literally right now, this term, this will be a blockbuster term. It's shaping up to be that way to, to take on this issue of partisan gerrymandering. Uh, so I've been around this a long time, and I was a, a first. Uh, I, my first experience with it was, um, <laughs> back to the book, uh, when I was working in the California legislature mm-hmm. uh, as a chief of staff to a state senator and, and saw the process up close. Uh, you know, they always talk about you don't want to house, see how sausage is made. Yeah. You certainly don't want to see how district lines are drawn. Yeah. I mean, it is the ultimate in political horse trading and uh, and and um, and partisan games. Right? Yeah. And it's getting even worse um, with these kind of sophisticated computer maps. Oh, um, oh you mean yeah. You can yeah. just with really surgical <laughs> precision, you know. Totally. <laughs> Block people out, and that's been that's been key to a number of these cases that have been bubbling up at the Supreme Court. You have computer scientists, a lot of models being run, where you'll run you know a thousand models of how maps could be drawn, none of which come out as partisan as the maps that we have now, where you have states like you know in Wisconsin, that case, about half of the state. It's about a fifty-fifty state actually when you look at the number of voters who are voting Republican or Democratic, and yet they're winning sixty percent of the state house seats. You know, or in North Carolina, roughly, you know, 50-50 when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, the the voter total, the vote totals, and yet they're taking 10 out of 13 congressional districts. So um, it's getting more and more sophisticated how politicians are able to really, you know, box voters in or out. I want to ask you about each of those cases. Yeah. But, so is the, ulti- is the answer 
just to take it out of the hands of the politicians and put it in the hands of a whatever group of experts, group of former judges or, I, I, I don't know, political yeah, there's scientists a, or professors or what, what's, what's, what do you – what do you think is the answer? Yeah, I think there's a few. I think there's a few kind of options, and it, it really depends by state. I mean, you mentioned your history in California. California really took the lead there. Yeah. California Common Cause pushed and, and won one of the one of the you know uh, gold standard reforms, which is an independent citizens redistricting commission that um, average you know, Americans can apply to participate, and there's a process that you know, ensures that we have a reflective process, an open and transparent process where we have a diverse group of citizens that come together across multiple kind of um, axes, gender, you know, race, political ideology, and that they are then drawing the maps, sticking to, you know, certain principles that we want in our mm-hmm. to, to maintain competitive mm-hmm. elections. So yeah. you have contiguous districts, you try to keep communities <laughs> of interest together, you try to um, ensure that neighborhoods are are together. So that's one model, right? You've got. By the these, way, it's working well in California. It is working well. It is working well, and and it it's opening up the process. I think it increases trust and confidence in government when it's along the lines. Again, you know, in in day in broad daylight, people can judge for themselves how these maps are being drawn. It's they've been on a they've been getting ready to go on a tour. The uh, some of those commissioners across the country um, for some other jurisdictions that are considering oh, that to say so, this is how you ought to do it. Yeah, huh? this is a yeah. model. So look, in Ohio, just yesterday, um, the Ohio legislature looks like it's about to refer a question to the ballot to set up a similar uh, redistricting commission. Um, it, there's a going to be a question <laughs> in uh, Michigan. Likely on the ballot, there's you know 400 some thousand signatures. Um, so so in some states, you know, you can go the initiative route. Other places, it's going to have to be you know legislators are going to have to create these commissions if they so choose. But you know if that doesn't happen, what's so critical about these Supreme Court cases is that court could set the standard, could set the guardrails, could finally say you know partisan gerrymandering violates the Constitution under the First Amendment under the 14th Amendment equal protection because it's treating voters differently. So we, what we really need is the court to rule here and lay out the guardrails and the rules of the road so that states that don't have these commissions, if you're still going to have self-interested politicians drawing the lines, um, it's pretty clear that they can't use partisan intent, partisan effect to, to box voters out. So some of these districts, right, that they're drawing uh, there's, uh, I guess, an economic component, but also often a racial component too, isn't there? I mean, that, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean racial. If they want to get their uh, Tea Party people elected, yeah. they don't want too many blacks in that district, right? So they lump them all together over here, right, and put all the. Yeah, absolutely. You see, you'll see. It's called well, the the language is packing and cracking voters. That's essentially what happens. They. They they pack certain voters, you know, Democrats mm-hmm. into into one or two districts and then crack the rest all across, you know, the rest of the state so that their votes are diluted and don't count as much. Um, and, you know, that's a problem throughout the throughout the uh, throughout the country when it comes to redistricting. But that's sort of the principle. It's pack certain voters into some districts and then spread the rest out. And ultimately, to my point earlier, dilute people's the power of their vote. Right. So, and we're talking, these districts are drawn for state legislative seats. That's right. And for congressional districts as well, right? right. That's exactly right. So, if people are interested in the state legislature, that's one thing. But if they're interested in 
members of Congress and getting a better Congress or for Democrats who are getting control, want to get control of the House or vice versa, Republicans, if they're in the minority, want to get control. It, it, these, these districts determine there are some, aren't there some, there are some seats drawn so much that it would be almost impossible for a moderate Republican to win it, let alone yeah. a Democrat. No, that's right. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand with the kind of polarization that we're seeing. I think I don't have the exact numbers, but I think it was less than <laughs> 10 congressional races in 2016. Might be getting the year wrong, but less than 10 out of the 435. Flip, huh? Well, were decided by less than 5 percent, but less oh, than a 5 percent oh, margin. Right. So that's exactly right. I mean, when you have these sort of gerrymandered maps, the real competition is in the primary. The primary. Exactly. And so you you have polarization. Um, you have then people just step back and they don't even vote. So we've got to, again, rein in this issue and draw districts that are competitive. California, as you said earlier, it's done a good job of that. All right. So now uh, there is one case uh, in front of the Supreme Court, the Wisconsin case. Yeah, right? there's th- there oh, are. Yes, there's two right now that that are that we expect decisions this term. So one is Wisconsin. That's ha- exactly and right. the RL arguments have that been heard. Took place in October. Okay. That's right. So right. that map challenge that was a Republican gerrymander. So you have the Republican legislators in Wisconsin meeting behind closed doors, drawing the maps, and winning about sixty percent of the seats in the uh, state house there. So that case is currently before the Supreme Court, the lower court. Common cause court, is uh, challenging that. We supported that litigation. We helped organize scores and scores of amicus briefs, including from governors, Republican and Democratic alike, people like Bob Dole, Governor Schwarzenegger, et cetera. We, we did a big part in uh, organizing a lot of the outside efforts on that case. Uh, we have another case in North Carolina where Common Cause is the lead plaintiff uh, we fought. We first filed a case called Common Cause versus Rucho. That was combined with a case by the League of Women Voters, uh, where we successfully won early last January. Three judge panel in North Carolina struck right. down the North Carolina congressional map as a partisan uh, gerrymander. It's the first time a congressional map's ever and been the struck language down. in that ruling was pretty severe. Pretty uh, severe. Yeah, we. I, I mean, they said flat out it was all. That's. Partisan gerrymander, as I recall it. I forget what the phrases were. That's but. exactly right. We won on all counts. So we won that it was a violation of the First Amendment, of the 14th Amendment, of the Elections Clause. But back to your earlier point. So that's right. So the Wisconsin case is currently pending, and everyone assumed that was going to be the case. I mean, I went to oral argument. The line around the Supreme Court at 6.30 in the morning was, like, you yeah. know, down towards the Folger Theater, you know, for mm-hmm. blocks away. Um, and... Then the court kind of surprised folks because it then announced that it's going to hear another case out of Maryland called Benisek. Um, now, Benisek, that's going to be argued in the end of March, and that is a case challenging a Democratic gerrymander. Mm. Um, it's interesting. that case, the original plaintiff is a Common Cause member who filed the case originally pro se. You know, and so we have had we've we've been working on that case. So is North Carolina at the Supreme Court level or is it still at the state level? Well, what happened is the state, the map was struck down and they were ordered to draw new maps. The North Carolina legislature ran to the United States Supreme Court and got a stay. So the map has now stayed, um, even though the court is very clear that voters have been stuck with an unconstitutional Mm -hmm. map. The Supreme Court stayed the decision. We filed and asked to expedite review to try to. Yeah. to try to get that heard sooner. The court decided actually just yesterday that it's going to keep the case on ice while the 
Wisconsin case and the Maryland case. And the Maryland case. But so you've got you've got a Republican <laughs> gerrymander and a Democratic gerrymander, right? And you clearly well, yeah. So it, it, what do you expect the court to do? I mean, the court can strike these down, but it seems to me that somebody has to, and you you alluded to this a little earlier, come up with some guidelines. Yeah. I mean, here are the, boom, exactly. for any plan to pass muster, it has to have boom, 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 boom. And maybe the very first one is not to be drawn by elected officials. Yeah who are currently in office, I mean, sitting legislatures, because let's face it, you know, they're not the, what is it, the better angels of our nature, or whatever <laughs> that phrase is. No yeah, matter whether another Demo- one, the fox is guarding the head house, I've heard that. Yeah, whatever yeah. the Democrat, whether Democrats or Republicans, they're going to draw, if they're in power, they're going to draw the lines in order to keep themselves in power. Yeah, and I don't think I'm I'm not sure That's the way that, it is. I'm not I I'm not sure the court will go will will go that far just because, you know, in some that that may be a, a bridge too far to say that a politician can't draw the map given the situation. Mm-hmm. What I think what I what I think's going to likely happen. So here's the kind of the backstory. Um the court could have made this decision years ago. There was another case called Veef where essentially there were enough justices to say this is a problem. Partisan gerrymandering is a problem. But they couldn't agree. They couldn't agree on what a standard would be to decide if it was a partisan gerrymander that violated the Constitution. It would be, yeah. Across the line. So so now, I mean, and the, the scuttle is that Justice Kennedy is, is the justice in play. Um, and, you know, he had indicated maybe there's this First Amendment violation because voters are being essentially – um, deprived of their um, you know, of their vote counting, be, you know, and having their 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 views challenged under you know in a way that violates the First Amendment. So, what what's probably what, what is likely to happen is that the court. I mean, if you just look at the evidence that's in the record, for example, in North Carolina, the legislators were uh, were completely nakedly transparent that they were drawing the map to advantage the Republican Party. Yeah. They said no, we're going to get a map of of ten so, Demo- ten Republicans and three Democrats. We wish we could get one with eleven Republicans and two <laughs> Democrats, but we can't. It's on the record. They said it. So what the court needs to say is: Look, is there a partisan intent here? Is there a partisan effect? Is there any justification for it? Maybe because there's some you know river or something that goes down the mm-hmm. the neighborhood. There's there could yeah. be some other reason, um, but. The court needs to lay out those standards so that when elected officials in those jurisdictions that are drawing the maps are doing so, you know they know that the Supreme Court is going to take it seriously. Um, and uh, so, Common Cause is on the on the on the case there at the Supreme Court level, and then we've got um, Pennsylvania, yeah, which is uh, all the state court, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I know it just gets there's a lot happening, and this is. These, I mean, the good news to me is that all these states are being challenged. That's right. Right. That's so, right. I mean, the issue is really kind of bubbling up. Hey, and and here we are, 2018, and this really comes to a head in 2020. That's right. I and mean, Pennsylvania is the place where, um, you know, these other cases, you know, the maps are kind of on ice while the Supreme Court hashes this out. In Pennsylvania, the challengers, including the League of Women Voters there, challenged the maps in state court and said, hey, these maps violate the Pennsylvania Constitution. So it worked its way up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and they said these maps are an unconstitutional Hmm. uh, partisan gerrymander. The Republican legislators there ran last week to the United States Supreme Court and said, 
this is a this is unconstitutional. I mean, it was yeah. a bizarre argument, which everyone expected to lose, and they did. Justice Alito said, "Tough luck. We're not going to hear the case. The Pennsylvania case stands as it is." Um, so they are under order on Friday. The Pennsylvania legislature is supposed to present new maps to comply with this the, Friday. This Friday, wow! With the Pennsylvania Supreme Court um, to file the maps, the governor has to decide what he's going to do. But you're seeing a real disturbing effort now out of some of these Republican state legislators. You have the Senate president saying, I'm not even going to comply with the order. And you have a House member in Pennsylvania in the Pennsylvania State House saying, we're going to try to impeach the Pennsylvania Supreme <laughs> Court justices. And, you know, I talked to people in Pennsylvania yesterday. They said, we don't think this is real. Even some Republicans there were saying this is a, uh, you know, this is a bridge too far. But 2018, we are living in bizarre, strange times. Yeah, for so. sure. So reapportionment, so critical, and uh, so so many of these cases, um, various places in the uh, uh, in the in contesting them, um, and which uh, Stephen has brought us up to date on. And you can find out more by following Common Cause, CommonCause.org. Exactly right. right. To the website for all their good work. But I do want to ask you before we run out of time about. A new report that you have just put out called The Art of the Lie. The Art of the Lie. Boy, I, I wonder who that's about. <laughs> you should you should see the cover. So we've got a silhouette of Trump with a very long Pinocchio nose. But oh, oh, it's, yeah. a, uh, it's a report that Common Cause worked grows on every jointly day. with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it grows every day. I think it's 5.9 lies a day is, you know, one of the st- stats that we that we found. We put out this Wait, report. Wait, really? With, yeah. Like, so six lies a day? Just about. That's nuts. Uh, New York Times and Washington Post have been yeah. keeping a running list, but right. we did this report yeah. with Fred Wertheimer, Democracy 21. We oh, tried to right, look at right. 20 different areas of the president's failed record on government accountability and transparency issues, everything from his obvious you know, efforts to obstruct justice and shut down the Russia investigation to you know, efforts to undermine the census in 2020. That's going to affect redistricting, keep it underfunded. Um, his attacks on... Um, journalists, you know, which are just abhorrent for, for, frankly, you know, just really always cross the line or poisoning the well. Uh, to you know, he's interviewing U.S. attorney nominees. That that's bizarre. That's I mean, Preparara, the former U.S. attorney from mm-hmm. Manhattan, said it's a bad, dangerous idea. But he's just trampling on the norm. So the point of the report, and you can read it at artofthelie.org. The point of the report is to document just that first year, so that we kind of remember some of the, the low points on these categories of integrity and accountability. Now, I, I, I've seen the New York Times, and every once in a while they'll do two full pages, mm-hmm. you know, updating mm-hmm. like every few months of the lies. And they've got them on a daily basis, every day, you know. Yeah. Uh, which, ones, which ones that he has said. He repeats a lot of lies, too. That's There's true. some lies that are pretty outrageous. He keeps repeating. I mean, how many times has he said he got more electoral votes than anybody yeah, uh, since Ronald Reagan, which is not true, right? I mean, some some of them are so not to mention the size of the inaugural crowd, um, exactly. or um, that he saved so much money on an F thirty five or something, whatever fighter jet, you yeah. know. But but so there are new ones every day and repeats of old ones every day. Yeah, and the other issue is, I mean, you brought up, I mean, some of these lies are ridiculous. The crowd size, everybody could see with their own eyes that that was a blatant, you know, falsehood. But some of these lies, like around the Electoral College, you know, his claim that he uh, somehow the popular vote, you know, three to five million. I don't even yeah. want to repeat it. But, right. you know, but his crazy claim there, 
you know, then he goes and sets up this commission. Thankfully, was shut down. Um, given oh the voter fraud commission, voter yeah. fraud commission, right? But you know, going to put the imprimatur of the White House and the Oval Office behind policies that are going to make it much harder for people to vote. Going to kick people off of the rolls. Um, then it was shut down, and you have uh, the uh, former uh, chair of the commission, Chris Kobach, who's running for governor of Kansas, notorious um, vote suppressor. Wacko. Yeah, trying to say, well, I'll just work with DHS on it. So some of these lies turn into policy. And again, really harm our, our democracy. So we're going to stay on the case, and we appreciate, you know, everything they're doing to lift that up too. Uh, so it's artofthelie.org. That's right. In terms of policy, I mean, he started out with the lie when he when he the, the day he announced for president, saying that any all, all, all immigrants are murderers and rapists and, yeah. and you know drug dealers. Uh, but that certainly that is the basis of his immigration policy today. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you can just you follow yeah. the line. Yeah. I mean, everything he says about immigrants and the and the risk and the he said it again yesterday. Yep. That if we don't something to stop these killers from coming across the border. Yeah, and he and continues so, to tweet about it, and it's just you know totally poisoning the, the you know the, I'll I'll end on a, if we're wrapping up. I'll end on a you know positive note is I do think civic participation is accelerating. I mean, no question, we've seen our membership, oh. you know, really grow. People are looking for places to plug in. Yeah. Um, our partners all across the field and. And and it's bringing Republicans to the table too. It's not. It's it, it's well, not a even a partisan so issue. Right. right. So, in terms of good government, good citizenship, good citizenry, common cause leading the way for almost fifty years now. Commoncause.org. Thanks, Stephen, for coming this in. Thanks, Bill. Alex Seitzwald coming up Press next. Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do: just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, I'm in my Tesla and I'm on my way to Mars. Oh man, what a great day for America. Thank you, Elon Musk. Um, and thank you. Thank you all for joining in here on this Wednesday, February 7th, The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Coming to you from our nation's capital. And booming out to you coast to coast, online, on the radio, on television. Great to see you today. Lots and lots to talk about. And it's a very funny day in Washington where uh, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell are actually working hard, talking, working together, trying to prevent a government shutdown because the government runs out of money again uh, midnight tomorrow. Meanwhile, Donald, Donald Trump down at the White House saying, I want to shut down. Let's shut it down. I want to shut down. I want to shut down the government. And meanwhile, I also want my military parade. And I want all those tanks rolling up Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, whether he will get either, we will see. Joining us to lead us through the news of the day here, uh, this guy, man, he is a media star. What can I tell you? He's already been on MSNBC this morning. We saw him here. 
And now he comes from uh, from uh, MSNBC over to our studio, Alex Seitzwald, political reporter for uh, NBC. Good to see you, Alex. Good to see you, Bill. There is nowhere I would rather be. So. <laughs> you is, got, uh, you're making the rounds. What's next after this? I mean, you know. Well, just... I was supposed to be in uh, Cambridge, Maryland for the oh, House yes. Democratic Retreat, yes. but they decided to cancel that given the impending potential. Well, they had they decided to move it. Right. But, yeah. Uh, the, a retreat without the retreat part of the retreat. It will now just happen <laughs> inside the Capitol. What I wonder is whether they can, I mean, th- that's a lot of hotel rooms that they had booked in Cambridge, Maryland at that Hyatt right there on the bay. <laughs> uh, do you think they'll get any of that money back? I don't know, yeah. How can they? I mean, that hotel was t- probably totally booked by the Democrats. It was. I tried to get a room there, and there was no, yeah. there was nothing yeah. left. Yeah. So. And uh, they're scrambling to find rooms here to do, you know, they have Joe Biden, uh, Eric Holder, mm-hmm. Terry McAuliffe, all the people coming, and they got to, you know, in, on a couple of hours' notice, figure out some place to host a big thing. Yeah, that's but, nuts. Uh, you know, anytime you schedule anything with members of Congress, even like for our show, a little, bit, you know, we, we experience it. You you can never be sure. That, yeah. Of that, something's not going to. Not going to blow up. Fingers crossed for our next segment. Uh, yes, exactly. To be Congressman here. Ted Lieu is supposed to be here in a half an hour or so. All right. With Alex Sidesworth, we join the news. And you send us your comments, please, on Twitter. Good to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes, all right. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, we've covered the opening of the Olympics. It's going to happen tomorrow night. It's the big opening ceremony in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Friday night, right? Well, uh, the opening ceremony stuff happens tomorrow. I, I, I think it's going to be televised. Like they're going to broadcast it later, okay. but it's going to actually happen tomorrow because of the time change and all that stuff. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a major problem now. 1,200 security workers were yeah. pulled off yeah. duty yesterday because of concerns <laughs> about the spread of norovirus. Yep. They have called in 900 military personnel to help organize things over there because they lost 1,200. So they got to figure out what they're going to do to keep things going. 32 cases of norovirus have been confirmed. Those people have been quarantined after being treated. Uh, 21 of those 32 have been private security staff members uh, from the youth center and 11 people from other locations, including three foreigners. So it could turn into a real problem if they don't get it under control, considering how you know, tight knit and close the Olympic Village is oh, yeah. typically. No, it is like a cruise ship. Yeah, really and truly. Uh, one other sports story, by the way, this will be the last Super Bowl story that we do because, uh, as we know, the New England Patriots lost. Rob Gronkowski, tight end for the New England Patriots, came home after the Super Bowl lost, and he found out that his house was broken into oh. during the Super Bowl. Oh, no. Someone <laughs> broke into his house. Three guns were taken and that some of his windows were broken around the house. So that insult to injury, I guess, after losing the Super Bowl, you come home and find out that you've been burgled. Yeah. Angry Pats fan. Angry Pats fan. Yeah, must be. But, you know, um, they they probably figured it's a good bet he wasn't home. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, I got David Bowie on the on the radio. I'm just cruising along here, orbiting around the sun in my uh, hot little red Tesla. Oh, God bless America and Elon Musk for the uh, Falcon Heavy 
spectacular success yesterday. We are back in space. Uh, hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, Wednesday, February 7. Good to have you with us. Coast to Coast, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Of course, uh, on with you on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, the great WCPT, and Coast to Coast, also on Free Speech TV with all the news of the day. And our good friend from uh, NBC News, uh, Alex Seitzwald, political reporter. Hello, Alex. Great to see you. Uh, so much to talk about. Um, I want to start with a big surprise yesterday from the state of Missouri. Yes. Uh, there was a, a state legislative seat up, uh, another House seat in the Missouri legislature, uh, House seat number 97, uh, a district that went for Jefferson County, went for Donald Trump in 2016 by 28 points. Democrat won it yesterday. Yep. What's going on, Alex? And there were, there were four seats up total. Uh, no one expected them to flip, but we were watching for the margins to see if they were going to swing towards yeah, Democrats. Yeah. They all swung towards Democrats. Something of a range from anywhere from 20 to, to 53 points, one of them swung. Oh, whoa. Isn't that uh, incredible? Yeah. Uh, but one of them flipped entirely, as you said, and there's now a Democrat. He's like a 27-year-old, yeah. you know, first-time candidate. Uh, th this is the, the makings of... An early wave. I mean, this is what uh, you know. The, the, all the data points you you look at. Uh, there have been a ton of these special elections over the past year and a half, and altogether, Democrats have flipped thirty-five state legislative seats. That includes uh, the Virginia, you know, normal elections. Right. But the most interesting thing to me is those mar is that margin and that swing. Uh, the places that used to be voting really big for Republicans are either voting Democratic or voting less big for Republicans all around, you know, anywhere from like a 12 to 24 right. point swing. That's 35 since, pardon me, flipped since Donald Trump became became president. And they're in Oklahoma. You know, they're in Iowa, right? They're in Wisconsin. They're in Missouri now. They're in all, all over. Yeah, even or uh, you know, conservative places on on uh, but, Long Island or like really pick a you know a rural district, a, a suburban district, Midwest, East Coast, West Coast. They're, they're everywhere. The one thing I would caution, you know, these uh, state legislative special elections are super low turnout, so enthusiasm is magnified, and I wouldn't expect these kinds of swings in November when you're going to have a much more normal kind of turnout level, a lot more Republicans turning out. But it just is, you know, yet another sign of the enthusiasm being all on the uh, Democratic side. Right. And where these uh, I think the organization is so key in these districts. But, you know, um, I, I visited with the people at Our Revolution yesterday, Bernie, the organization founded to keep the Bernie Sanders movement alive. And this is what they're doing. You know, they're identifying they're recruiting. Some of their own members are doing the recruiting all across the country. People to run for city council, state legislature. Uh, uh, whatever, and they're organizing, they're supporting them, uh, and they're doing it. Emily's List is doing it. MoveOn.org is doing it. Indivisible is doing it. Uh, and even the, and the DNC is playing in every one of these districts as well. So the, 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 it, you're right, it doesn't necessarily mean you know, the Democrats are going to sweep everything in, but in, in 2018, but it seems to me if they can organize at that level, that helps everybody. Right. 
And uh, this is, you know, frankly, long overdue for Democrats. Who, uh, yes, thank you. Yeah, as a, as a former <laughs> state party chair, you know that Democrats have historically not been very good at paying attention and organizing in these statewide races. But uh, we all focus on presidential races for obvious reasons. Every election is important for their own reason. But this election is arguably as important as a presidential election because of the timing. It's coming up right before redistricting. I think 84% of state legislative seats are up on the ballot mm. uh, in November. So this is crucial. The reason that Democrats don't have the House right now is because of gerrymandering. I mean, the Republicans yeah. acknowledge this. Every academic study says it. If Democrats can win back a lot of these state legislative seats, win back governorships, they will be in a really good position to rewrite uh, districts so that they can have a, a much better chance at retaking the House. And you, you shouldn't have to have a, a giant wave election to have a shot at, at taking the House, which is what we're talking about you know, in, in November. Right. Like, look at Pennsylvania, where there's this case. I was just going to talk to you about the Pennsylvania. There's a special election for Congress right. coming up next month. Right? March 13th, yep. Yeah, and uh, and the— A Republican seat? Republican seat, very Trumpian seat. We're, we're south, uh, east, western corner of Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. So this is your kind of quintessential blue-collar former Democrats. They might still be registered Democrats, but they vote like Republicans. They voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and Republicans are— you know, breaking glass in case of emergency. They're dumping money in there. They're very, very nervous uh, about it. But what, one interesting thing to me about it, this district might not even exist uh, come November because of this totally oh, unrelated that, that uh, too. state yeah. Supreme Court ruling, which just speaks to – right now I, I think there's uh, – uh, de Democrats have three seats out of uh, 13 in Pennsylvania – I, I could be have those numbers not quite right, but the point is that it's about a fifty-fifty state, and Democrats have way less than that in their representation because in the House because of, of gerrymandering. Yeah, we just talked with Common Cause about that, sure, and and this is all being decided in Pennsylvania by the state court. Right, while there are other cases pending in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Right, yeah. but it just speaks to, and that's you, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, go across the country. There's a lot of these states where Democrats should, on paper have a lot more seats than they do, and if they can win these state legislative seats, win governorships, then they can rewrite the maps to give them better you chance. You mentioned that Republicans, have, uh, uh, in case of emergency, break the glass. They are at that stage right now in Pennsylvania. I just saw a couple of articles where they realized that they could may, might lose this seat. What are Democrats up to in that seat? They're trying to, Democrats are trying to take a, a step back, and the, the, after Georgia 6 with John Ossoff last year, they felt really burned by that. They pumped a ton of money. I saw one estimate that if they had taken the money, Democrats taken the money that they put into Georgia 6 and redistributed it to like their top 80 candidates, be, each one of those would have $700,000. Oh, wow. So yeah. they're looking at a very, very good November. They want to preserve those resources. This is one House seat that there is going to have to be contested again. In November? In November. Oh, God. So yeah. they say, you know, what's the point, essentially? It's all about the psychology, the narrative. So don't go the... for broke in this special, huh? Right. Yeah. Whereas for Republicans, the calculus is a little bit different. I mean, first of all, they just have more money to, to spend. But they're worried about keeping their incumbents uh, from retiring, you know, and preventing an all-out panic inside the Republican Party. So for them, the psychology... And the uh, narrative really matters a lot more than it does for Democrats. Right. Now, you mentioned um, you were uh, oscillated. I'm sure that this has been the would have been the highlight of uh, 2018 
for you to get to go to the Eastern Shore to Cambridge, Maryland. Beautiful Eastern Shore. Uh, for uh, it's Cambridge is a pretty little town. Yeah. Uh, on uh, for the Democratic retreat, now they have because there's a threat of another government shutdown. They have canceled their plans to go to Cambridge, and they're going to just have their meetings here in the capital, probably the Capital Visitor Center or around, right? But so uh, this threat of a shutdown. But I'm a little confused about um, whether. The White House wants a shutdown or doesn't, because you hear different voices. Now, yesterday, uh, Donald Trump was having a meeting about MS-13, uh, because we know that every immigrant is a mass murderer, so <laughs> we have to uh, uh, keep on this issue. Um, and uh, he took time out to say, um, here's what he thinks about a shutdown. If we don't change it, let's have a shutdown. We'll mm -hmm. do a shutdown, and it's worth it for our country. I'd love to see a shutdown if we don't get this stuff taken care of. Yeah. So, you know, shut down, bring it on, Donald Trump says. Bring it on. Yeah. I love that moment where he, he pauses as if he's thinking, wait, did I yeah. go too far? And then, no. No, 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 I'd love to have a shutdown. I'd love I will tell you, I would shut it down over this issue. Yeah. If we don't straighten out our border, we don't have a country. Without borders, we don't have a country. Shut it down. Shut it down. All right. So then in the afternoon, you know, at the uh, briefing, uh, the question comes up to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So is the president really saying he wants to shut the government down? We are not advocating for the shutdown. That's the fault of the Democrats not being willing to do their jobs. The president wants a long-term deal, and he wants to get a deal on immigration. And we hope that Democrats will come to the table and get those things done. We are not advocating a shutdown. Is that what Donald Trump said? I'd love to see a shutdown. <laughs> we are not advocating for the shutdown. <laughs> I'd love to see a shutdown. <clears throat> Help me out, Alex. Well, and I love what you, is it? You, usually, when when you do when one does those, you know, those juxtaposing clips, you're talking about months apart from each other. You know, like oh, we dug up this clip from <laughs> yeah, back from, in October. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, right. this was like two hours apart, less than that even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's it's just another classic example of Donald Trump being off message from his own staff and from. Uh, the rest of the White House and his administration, and people basically going with what the staff is saying and not with what the president of the United States is saying. You know, essentially discounting that. Oh, they don't. He doesn't really mean that. Uh, take him seriously, but not literally. And uh, so, you know, I, I think if you're uh, Mitch McConnell and and Paul Ryan, you are concerned about what he's going to sign ultimately. Uh, and I think they are, probably have assurances from the staff and they're probably going with that and then they're just hoping that he's uh, blustering. Well, both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer yesterday basically said who cares what he says, right? right. They just just brushed it off. He's just the president. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stunning. And Mitch McConnell and Schumer both back to back yesterday said, we're not, there's nothing guaranteed, but we're close to having a deal. We're close to a longer term, maybe a year, right, deal on increasing domestic spending and increasing military spending and some kind of a, uh, and so that's what the, the, that's what they're working on, and so they're not they they were not going to be sidetracked by suddenly Donald Trump saying shut it down, shut it down, right? Well, I think so the the uh, it, it, it's amazing. It, it's it's and, and he blew up the last deal. Remember when they went up there and they thought on that yeah, that a deal yeah. on DACA. So I I think what they're trying to do is create enough momentum around this. Uh, ignore him essentially, create enough momentum around this, and then give him something that they are told by his staff that he'll sign. And at that point, once it's a fait accompli, just assume that he'll have to sign it.
Right. Uh, meanwhile, there will be nothing done on the Dreamers, of course, um, between between now and then. Um, what what do you think is going to happen? Are they just going to punt on the Dreamers for a year? I mean, I saw John Kelly, President Kelly, yesterday said <laughs> um, that he's not even he doesn't think Donald Trump would extend the deadline, but. They're, the Trump the, the deadline he gave them originally was March five. Right, we're coming right up on that. We are, yeah. So, so they have a little bit of wiggle room because a court has delayed this essentially. But I mean, it was they were in limbo before. Now they're in even more limbo. And after we pass that March fifth deadline, we're just you yeah. know it, it's just the incredible uncertainty uh, for these people that eighty percent of Americans or ninety percent of Americans say should be allowed to stay here and should be given some kind of permanence. But I think uh, for Schumer, who was the only one who has any leverage on the Democratic side here, he shut down the government over this last time. It did not go well. He had a revolt in his own caucus from the you know red state Democrats who are up for re-election this year. I don't think he has any interest in going down that road again. So they'll just kind of have to take whatever the White House is willing to give them, which might be a punt for another year, as you said. Right. Um, I saw a note this morning. I think it was every, yeah, every 35 hours for like the last um, six months or more, Donald Trump has bragged about the Dow going up. (laughs) 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 You know, some of these people keep track of this stuff. I don't know, but thank God, because the rest of us don't have to try it. But um, maybe that now the Dow did bounce back yesterday, but do you, th- do you think it might uh, slow them down a little bit, slow him down a little bit in terms of cr- taking credit every time the Dow inches up? Well, I have been waiting for this day. Uh, we all have for yeah, a year because you know. this is the, the problem with the stock market: what goes up yeah, comes down. Yeah, we all right. know that. I mean, the, there's a reason that people use the stock market as a metaphor for a jiggly, you know, up and down line. Uh, yeah, I, I yesterday Hogan Gidley, who's a White House spokesperson, yes, went on right. Fox Business and he said. Oh, sure, Trump has talked about the stock market, but I would hardly say he focuses on it. So I went on to, uh, <laughs> went on to Twitter.com. You may have heard of this uh, website and looked on uh, Donald Trump's account and just typed the word stock in. And I, I, by, after scrolling for like five minutes, I made it to October and I just gave up at, at that point. I mean, dozens yeah. and dozens of consumed tweets. And that's, and that's just tweets. By, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. As if the Dow is me, right? Right. Dow goes up, I go up. Dow's going to, I'm doing great. And, and it's a total reflection of nothing other than me. Right. As is everything else for Donald Trump. But of course, if it starts to go down or, the, uh, you know, some uncertainty as we're heading into a period of, I, he will disown it immediately it's it'll be like the uh the, the cooked books at the bls and the unemployment rate i mean remember during the campaign and before he would always accuse the government of oh yeah you can't believe those numbers yeah those unemployment numbers no no no, no Chicago no. guys. exactly yeah right. they, they're there and then as soon as he gets in the unemployment uh rate is suddenly great i don't think he cleaned house at the bureau of labor statistics i think it's the exact same people doing the exact same thing they have been doing uh but you know he's the he wants the reality that he wants, and he's going to choose it. And any reality that doesn't conform to that, he will disregard as fake news. Right. Uh, it, it's hard to believe that this today, just a week ago, Alex, we were talking about the State of the Union. Yeah. It seems so long ago, nobody's talking about it anymore. But it's worth reflecting that the State of the Union, he spent so much time saying, basically, 
we have to unite. You know, we got to work together. We got to move forward. Time for division is past. Da 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 da. Um, it didn't last long. Well, I I think it says so much about how he governs and who he thinks he's governing for that he gives the speech on Tuesday, where as you said, the 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 headline that they wanted from it was a call for bipartisanship, right. and I think that was on the front page of the yeah, New York Times yeah. the next day. And then three days later, allows the release of the Nunes memo, which he knows is going to inflame partisan tensions and uh, you know stir things up. Last night, the, the he also said the Democrat. Well, now then this week he says the Democrats who didn't applaud are, are treasonous. Yeah, treasonous. Yeah. yeah, and even if he's being flippant and joking, which you know he is, that's still <laughs> what happened to the call for for bipartisanship. Last night, his presidential campaign put out a web ad where they called it uh, disgraceful. They, they showed the video of, of Democrats looking, you know, glowering as, as during the State of the Union, and they called it disgraceful. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Has it, anybody gone back, uh, you just say, this is what we do, has anyone gone back and gotten video of the Republicans sitting there during Barack Obama's State of the Union? They should. I mean, it's, it's the exact same thing. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the, I think typically uh, you haven't used State of the Union. It's been seen as not a okay thing to do to use footage from the State of the Union address in a <laughs> campaign ad because it's a yeah, it's an official right. duty. It's you know, it's not it's not a campaign right. event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he I, I think from day one, uh, we knew this and we get further confirmation of it every day. He is interested in governing for his base, which is like, what, 35 to 40 percent of the country and is not that interested in governing for the rest of the America. But, you know, I, I keep coming back to that. I, I hear that all the time. I don't get that. People say, well, he can't do that because his base won't like it or he may do something crazy. We may think it's crazy, but his base loves it. I mean, how far can you get in this country with his base? 35 or even if it's 40 percent, right? You need more than that. Maybe in a Republican primary you don't, but... Well, you can make it to the White House, I guess, uh, with that. But, yeah, I mean... The, it, I mean, that, that's not what governing is all about, no. it seems to me. It's just satisfying the base that you won. He, he got that base, right? He got... He was elected president of the United States. To me, it some, sounds like sometimes he's still campaigning yeah. for that base, yeah. for their vote. I think he sees every day as a as a campaign for for that base, and uh, you know it, that's never been how uh, presidents have tried to govern. Even George Bush, as much as you know, liberals hated him. He would try to he would reach out to the, or speak to people who didn't like him. He would defend Muslims. He would defend minorities. Say we love you, even if we disagree with you. You know, Obama was hated by the right, but he would always at least try to. Uh, consider them sometimes too much sometimes too much you, yeah yeah uh and i there's no rule that says you can't do it it's just been assumed that that's not how you govern it's a norm another norm that trump has you know bowled over uh but i think he sees it as that's where the leverage is if he can control the base then he can control the republican caucus on the hill mm-hmm. and uh that's enough for him to get his agenda or at least get the version of his agenda that is mediated through Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell passed. Okay. Uh, I want to take a quick time out here. Just, don't go anywhere, right? But but leading to uh, my next question. But my time out is just to uh, tell you about this great offer we have. My new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire, comes out uh, March 20. Uh, but we made it available for you, like right now, at least to order an advanced copy 
at a very, very special rate of 40% off, just $16.79 for the book, a signed copy of the book. Um, and the first 100 of you who order an advanced copy of From the Left, Life in the Crossfire, will get a free copy, signed copy, of one of my earlier books. I had 100 left. They've got them. They'll send them out to the first 100 of you if there's still any left. So my point is, don't hang around. Don't wait around. Do it right now. Go to BillPressShow.com and order your advanced copy. You'll find on the front uh, a little blurb by Senator Bernie Sanders, the tale of an engaged and often outraged citizen. Uh, that's me. And I mention that because the last chapter of this book is all about Bernie Sanders, how the campaign got started in our living room right here on Capitol Hill, or at least part of the start of it, uh, and why I decided to support Bernie over Hillary in the primary and why I think Bernie would have won had he been the Democratic nominee and not Hillary Clinton. Uh, so Bill, BillPressShow.com, you'll find it. Order your copy. So, Alex, having said that, what's up with Bernie in 2020? How do you read it? Uh, he already had his first big meeting with his campaign uh, I advisors. I think you might know more about this than I do. <laughs> no, I'm asking you. Uh, and it's not just Bernie that's out there, right? Joe no. Biden is everywhere you look. What's going on? Yeah, uh, a surprising breath of uh, refresh, Eric, for people who are used to getting coy remarks from uh, potential presidential candidates. Yesterday, Julian Castro, the former HUD secretary, just straight up told my colleague, Suzanne Gamboa, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in running for president. I saw that. Which has just floored me. He was going up to New Hampshire. Yeah, he didn't say, well, I didn't go. They invited me. No, he said, yeah, I'm thinking about, I want to run for president. And I'm going to test it out and see what they think of there. Okay, yeah. great. Um, yeah, there's a, I, you know, I, I think um, one thing to watch for Bernie, he, I think he's going to step up his involvement in 2018 uh, endorsing candidates, which is, Interesting. There's a lot of these very heated primaries across mm -hmm. the country, and a lot of people who would really love to have the Bernie brand, uh, you know, behind them in, in a in a crowded primary to stand out. I know Elizabeth Warren has been doing some of that. I was just out in California in the Daryl Issa's district, the, mm -hmm. the 49th, uh, and in a neighboring one, the 45th. Elizabeth Warren had been making some phone calls for a candidate out there. So I think we could have some interesting kind of proxy fights happening in these Dem primaries with various potential 2020 people endorsing different right, candidates. Right, And a uh, story, I think, in Politico this morning where Joe Biden plans to do um, a, a great deal of campaigning in 2018 for in, in support of Democratic candidates as well. You know, that, that's, that's a classic way of lining up some friends, making friends, and getting your name out there for somebody else so you're not you know, directly campaigning for yourself, but at all... Uh, you're building dividends down the road. Absolutely, and you're uh, testing your yourself. You're working on yes. your stump speech. Yeah. You're right. You're getting out. Yeah. One thing I will say about Biden, regardless of how you feel about him, he is the one guy in the Democratic Party right now who can go anywhere in the country and be wanted by candidates. He's the only national Democrat who went to Alabama for Doug Jones. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, he's one of the only Democrats who could get away with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He, he uh, uh, I would not be surprised if he pops up in that Pennsylvania 18 district outside of Pittsburgh. That's classic. You know, 15 minutes kind of. from his house. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not. It's the other end of Pennsylvania. But, but it's but it's close yeah. enough. Yeah. Similar yeah. To, to Scranton. Uh, and uh, the, the Democrats don't have, I don't think, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or would not Julian be Castro. welcomed everywhere. Right, right, exactly. So that's a big advantage for Joe Biden, and I think he's going to be very in demand. Former Vice President, uh, but you know, I, I still think that the field is basically three people: Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. 
at the top and then this huge mix of people underneath it. Maybe you could do a second tier of the senators, the, the Kamala Harris's, Cory Booker's, uh, people like that. But, it, you know, people are going to get in early, like Julian Castro. Then you sort of have a third tier of people like Julian Castro, John Delaney from Maryland, Tim Ryan from Ohio. I don't know who else. I mean, out there, yeah. It's it, it, yeah. You have mayors. You have Eric. Oh yeah, Eric in Garcetti LA. from L.A. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Mitch Landrieu in in New Orleans is, and, and people are increasingly being more open about it because they have to. I mean, I think there's sort of a calculus. If if you get press coverage automatically, like a Bernie Sanders, you don't need to be talking about 2020, and actually, it's probably harmful. But if you're somebody like mm-hmm. Julian Castro or Mitch Landrieu who doesn't get national press coverage, you need to be saying that to in order to get people to start paying attention to you, get donors to pay attention to you. Uh, and so I think you're going to see more people step it up earlier than normal. And where was Eli Musk born? Uh, not in the U.S. I know that. South Africa. We found this out. South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. He'd Sorry. be my candidate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. He can get things done. He can do things, you know? Yeah. He could govern from the moon. (laughs) (laughs) He's a new hero. All right. Hey, Alex, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for staying on top of all of this. And when we come back, uh, our good friend uh, from California, he's making a lot of news, shaking things up, Congressman Ted Lieu from California's 33rd District, all about the memo, the Democratic memo, all of that good stuff. We'll be right back with uh, Congressman Lou. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? On a Wednesday, Wednesday, February 7. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day booming out to you coast to coast online, on radio, on television. And we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those great men and women of the UFCW under Mark, uh, President Mark Perrone. They, uh, you know, serve and put food on the families of every uh, working family in America through their uh, good work. And you can check out the good work at ufcw.org. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. We're proud to welcome uh, to our studio uh, a good friend from the great state of uh, California, California's third congressional district, one of the most beautiful congressional districts uh, in the country, uh, Malibu and Santa Monica, I mean, Venice, and you can't get much better than that. Congressman Ted Lou, nice to see you. Thank you, Bill. Honored to be here. Thanks for coming in. Um, so uh, I'm not sure, Congressman, but I was watching the State of the Union last week, and uh, I think at one time um, I saw uh, the president said something and the Republicans applauded, but you didn't applaud. Are you a traitor? I am not. Uh, sometimes I applauded if he made a good point, and if he made a stupid point, I didn't applaud. And that's what makes America great. I served on active duty in the U.S. military because I love our country. And one of the things I love about America is that we give people the freedom to clap for the president or not to clap, to cheer him on or not to cheer him on, and to disagree with him without fear of retribution. And that's what America is all about. What a statement. Do you ever think you get to see the day when the president would say that people who didn't applaud for me are un-American, are treasonous, don't love, I, don't love their country? Well, I think what the president doesn't understand is that if we don't love him, somehow we don't love America. <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. Yeah, right. I, I was saying yesterday it's like that old Louis the Fourteenth. you know, I am the state, right? He equates right. himself with... Yes, he does. And 
one of the things you see him do is he tries to do things basically to pump up his own ego. So he's mad that he didn't get enough cheering at the State of the Union. Now he wants this big military parade basically to stroke his ego. It is an expensive endeavor, and it's just really stupid. There are a lot more things we can do with that money rather than to have a big parade in Washington, D.C. Yeah, this, I mean, this is not who, okay, it's having served in the active military, you know, this is not something we do, right? I mean, feel well, that we have to <laughs> show off our military might the way Vladimir Putin does or Kim Jong-un does. That's correct. And actually, one of the reasons we would do a parade in the military is for a change of command ceremony. So we're talking about changing, you know, who is commander in chief. Yeah, I could support that parade. Uh, But to have (laughs) this kind of parade, uh, which reminds you of North Korea and Russia, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's wasteful. And if Donald Trump really wants to honor our troops, there are lots of things he could do that would be much more useful, such as coming up with a coherent strategy for North Korea nominating an ambassador to South Korea, Mm -hmm. coming up with a strategy for Afghanistan. We've been there 16 years. Why are we still there? Coming up with a strategy for Syria. He hasn't done any of that, and yet he's putting our men and women at risk. Well, and this comes in the wake of yesterday, the House basically on a a partisan line vote, passing a short-term spending bill they sent over to the Senate which increases, boosts military spending, but keeps domestic spending at the same level. I guess the, 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 my question is, how much money does the Pentagon need, right? It's like they never, there's never enough money to the Pentagon. The Republicans always want to give more money to the Pentagon, more money, more money. What's going on? What's the purpose? What is remarkable about what I've seen in the last year and a half is every Republican deficit hawk uh, went away. There's no more of them. <laughs> And right. so they, they flew the keep, nest, huh? They flew the nest. And they keep passing these bills that explode the deficit and add huge amounts to our federal debt from this GOP tax scam bill now to this short-term CR that does have a one-year sort of increase for military, but not for much mm-hmm. else. The U.S. Senate, I believe, is going to reject that and uh, give it back to the House because if we're going to increase military spending, we need to increase the other parts of our national security, such as education spending, health and welfare. Um, keep in mind, a third of our national security is in non-defense spending, such as veterans, Department of Homeland Security, mm-hmm. or State Department. Republicans don't fund any of that adequately. We have had, uh, this week, or last week, I guess, it and uh, bleeding into this week, the War of the Memos. <laughs> Uh, now, you sit on House Judiciary Committee. You share some jurisdiction over FISA, I guess, right? Yes. Um, this has been mainly the House Intelligence Committee, but the rest of the House has gotten involved in it um, with the release of the Republican memo. Have you you've read that memo? What, is it, what does it tell you? Does it validate everything Donald Trump said about the Robert Mueller investigation? Not at all. And the reason you know that is even Republicans are saying it doesn't discredit the Mueller investigation. So Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee, Trey Gowdy, was very clear. He said nothing in this Nunes memo discredits Special Counsel Mueller's investigation. And that's correct. If you read the memo, it's about three and a half pages. It's one big nothing burger. It doesn't say really anything that hasn't already been publicly reported. Its central claim is basically that 
the FBI did not disclose enough information about the Christopher Steele dossier to the FISA court judge. Mm-hmm. Democratic memo is going to rebut every claim in the Nunes memo and show that appropriate disclosures <laughs> were made. And more than that, that there was overwhelming evidence to execute a surveillance warrant on former Trump official Carter Page. And I think it's very important that the Democratic memo gets released. It's interesting. Carter Page is somebody that won't stop talking to the media. Uh, yesterday, he was on with, um, yesterday morning with George Stephanopoulos, uh, and he made a claim I find uh, hard to believe, Congressman. Uh, he, here he is. He says he never, never, has never had any communication at all with Donald Trump. Here he is. I never spoke with him since. I never spoke with him any time in my life. You've so. never spoken to Donald Trump in your life? Nope. No email, no text, nothing like that? Never. That's pretty definitive. <laughs> I mean, pretty that's definitive. awfully definitive. It's kind of hard to believe, but he was, we know, out there presenting himself as an emissary of Donald Trump and meeting with Russian officials. Right? That's the point. Well, let's first of all take a step back. Multiple former Trump campaign officials have lied about their contacts uh, with the Russians and their contacts with other individuals. Good point. Yes. So it's up to you whether you want to believe Carter Page or not. Now, keep in mind the public reporting is that earlier he was an informal advisor to the Kremlin. Uh, this is a person for which really there was just overwhelming evidence to execute a surveillance warrant on him, and the Democratic memo is going to show that. But more than that, even as we sit here now, through all this noise, everything the Republicans uh, have done to try to mislead and spin, they cannot say that the relevant parts of the Steele dossier are false. They can't say that, and to this day they still don't. So I'm not even sure what the big deal is because they can't even really back up their central claim. And certainly the FBI believed enough of what was real uh, that, that they didn't rely on that exclusively, but they, given their past history with Carter Page, back in 2013, they first put him under surveillance because of, as you said, he was with all of his ties to the Kremlin, that when he pops up again and Christopher Steele comes to them, they take it very ser- They They certainly took the Steele dossier very seriously, the FBI. They did, but keep in mind, even the New Year's memo says that the FBI started their investigation before that. Totally. So the yes. FBI investigation into Trump and Russia had nothing to do with the Steele dossier. It had already started back, uh, it was George Papadopoulos that, that triggered is, it. Right? Based on the New Year's memo, that okay. is correct. So that memo now is out there, and uh, as you pointed out, even Trey Gowdy, who helped write it, comes out and says, no, this doesn't derail Robert Mueller. It doesn't under discredit him. It Correct. doesn't mean the, the, the investigation should, should should cease. It's not just a political partisan witch hunt. Now there's the Democratic memo. Have you had a chance to read that? I have. I've read it multiple times. And keep in mind, the Judiciary Committee, not only do we have jurisdiction over FISA, we also have jurisdiction over the FBI and the Department of Justice as well. Okay. So what does the Democratic memo tell us? Can you tell us when, what it tells us? When it gets released and people read through it, there's at least three conclusions anyone who's rational will come to. One is that Chairman Devin Nunes and Donald Trump are intentionally trying to mislead the American public. Second, there was overwhelming evidence to execute a surveillance warrant on Carter Page. And third, you're going to be proud of the actions of the FBI and the Department of Justice. They did nothing wrong in this case. 
What do you, as someone who has oversight of the Department of Justice, what is your take on what you'd have to say is Donald Trump's war on the FBI and the Department of Justice, by the way, backed up by a lot of so-called law and order Republicans suddenly, who suddenly now are right. uh, trying to undermine uh, impugn the integrity of both the FBI and the Department of Justice. Uh, that is what is deeply disappointing to me. Uh, so I talk to various Republicans, and there are some who are true believers, who truly believe that the FBI is some hotbed of liberalism and that Uranium One is actually a scandal. They really believe that, but many Republicans do not. And yet they continue to enable Donald Trump's attacks on our institutions, whether it's on the judiciary or the free press and now the FBI. And that, to me, is cowardly and deeply disturbing. And if you really look at the leadership of the special counsel's investigation, it's three people. (laughs) We have Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, a Republican appointed twice by Republican presidents, We have special counsel Robert Mueller, a Republican who served in Vietnam. He was a war hero. He got the Brown Star with valor. And then we have FBI Director Christopher Wray, a Republican who, Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, gave over $39,000 exclusively to Republican candidates. That is the leadership of this investigation, three Republicans investigating a Republican president. And two of them appointed by Donald Trump. Correct. And to somehow say that they are Democratic stooges is... First of all, factually false. Uh, it's also ludicrous. What I find, Congressman, is um, the one person that one would think would be out there defending the Department of Justice and the FBI would be the Attorney General of the United States. I don't, as you know, think very much of the Attorney General of the United States. So it doesn't surprise me that he is not defending his department. And I think history will not be kind to him. Yeah, and there's a good reason that he's not, I guess, right? Because he's worried about his own job. Is is that how you read it? Yes, I think he's scared of Donald Trump. Mm. That's how I read it. Right. Um, will the president release the Democratic memo? What do you think? I hope he does. Uh, let's say he doesn't. What does that tell you? What is he trying to hide? I think it would be remarkably damaging to uh, the presidency if he were to not release it and to not let the American public... Uh, see the truth. But you also say it would be damaging to his case if the American people reads it, perhaps, at any rate, if they read it. Yes, he he actually does lose either way. Uh, Having read both memos, uh, you know, some people say, oh, Donald Trump and the Republicans are playing some sort of 12-dimensional chess. No, Uh, they're not even playing checkers because it's very clear to me that it would have been far better for them to have no memos released than to have both memos released. Yeah. I I want to come back. You you used a word that I think is so key in this whole debate, which is um, in in talking about some of your Republican colleagues in Congress, enable, enable. That's what they really are, aren't they? I mean, they cannot distance themselves with with Donald Trump when they either support some of his outrageous claims or just stay silent. Uh, That is correct. And uh, there was a really good op-ed by a Republican, uh, Mr. Gerson in the Washington Post, that talked exactly about uh, this cowardly behavior. Uh, but keep in mind, there are some Republicans that are, are standing up to Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. They are also retiring. <laughs> that tells you a lot. Yeah, it does, right. Bob Corker on occasion. Uh, yes. Jeff Flake, right. Correct. They're both retiring. Yeah. Elena Ross-Layton, congresswoman mm-hmm. out of Florida, she's retiring. 
Charlie Dent out of Pennsylvania every now and then makes some statements uh, against Donald Trump. He's retiring. And so um, that tells you something. I got to yeah. tell you, if, if the cost of criticizing Donald Trump is to give up your job, it's probably worth it. <laughs> like, it's got to be pretty satisfying. <laughs> yeah, j just to give him uh, credit and recognition, uh, Senator Jeff Flake actually went to the floor of the Senate yesterday to talk about this comment where we started uh, that if you were uh, a Democrat on the floor uh, uh, during the State of the Union and were not applauding and jumping up and down at every line that you were somehow uh, guilty of treason. Here's uh, Senator Flake. We must recognize that this is aberrant, destructive behavior whatever rationale its defenders may offer. And we must never shrink from opposing it. Yeah. Well said, I, huh? Yes, I commend Senator Flake for saying what he said. And one of the disturbing things about Donald Trump is he attacks any institution, any person uh, that doesn't agree with him. Mm -hmm. And so that is corrosive to our democracy. <laughs> there are Republicans that I don't agree with, but I don't impugn their motives. I don't believe they're treasonous or that they're evil. They have different views than I do. But to sort of impugn the motives of people who are serving in Congress, trying to do the best for their districts, is just wrong and something a president should not be doing. You know, it has been a tradition, I have to tell you, but you know, as, as long as I've been involved in politics, it's always been a tradition that you, you, you believe that, that, that People on both sides of the aisle, we all love our country, and we're just trying to decide how we can move forward to make this an even better country. It may differ on means or something, but our goal is kind of always the same, and we start from the same place. This is a different kind of politics today, you know, where Donald Trump is saying, no, 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 if you don't agree with me, basically, you know, you're an, the enemy, right, the other side. That's, that's yes, and it's actually worse than that. Uh, he is now threatening to do a government shutdown because he oh, doesn't yeah. get his way. And keep in mind, the president is the leader of the federal government. If the government shuts down, it means he failed. A president should never be urging a government shutdown, should never say he wants one, and government shutdowns uh, hurt people. So this is just another demonstration that Donald Trump is not fit for office. Well, here we are um, on Wednesday, February 7. Um, seems like we were at the same junction not so long ago, which is true. Um, but tomorrow at midnight, absent some action on the part of Congress, the government will shut down. What's going to happen? So the will House shut down? I've learned not to predict <laughs> their Republican leadership or uh, Donald Trump. But I do know that passing short-term continuing resolutions is harmful to our nation. You can't run you know, an economy of trillions of dollars based on spending measures of three weeks to four weeks. Uh, it's absurd. This is a fifth continuing mm -hmm. resolution the Republicans have done. Um, keep in mind that Secretary of Defense Mattis actually said a few weeks ago that no enemy on the field has done more harm to the American military uh, than these defense sequester caps and short-term continuing resolutions. So we need to get out of these short-term resolutions and pass a long-term spending and budget plan. I'm glad the U.S. Senate is, is working on it. I don't know why mm -hmm. the House Republicans uh, can't do that. They keep doing these short-term CRs, and uh, it's very harmful to our nation. Right. Uh, yet they, it looks like they may, yeah, they may do another one. I mean, you, you say you can't run the government that way. You couldn't run a small business that way, right? If you only knew 
for two weeks. <laughs> how much? How long you'd be able to go? Every two weeks, you'd have to come up with a whole new business plan. I mean, it's, it's, that is correct, and it shows the dysfunction of the GOP leadership. Keep in mind, they control all levels of the federal government: the House, the Senate, and the White House, and they still can't manage to put together a a long-term spending plan that's simply not acceptable. If this release of the Republican memo did not do the job that Donald Trump thought it would, which was to convince everybody that the Mueller investigation and the FBI were just Hillary Clinton stooges and out to get him, um, there is some fear that he might take the next step, which would be to either fire Rod Rosenstein or to fire Robert Mueller. In fact, he tried once to fire Rosenstein or to fire Robert Mueller. What would happen if were he to do that? I do believe that people would take to the streets. That would be uh, yet another example of obstruction of, of justice, but it would be a, a very severe example where I think the American people will realize that, okay, he is definitely hiding some pretty bad stuff. Otherwise, he wouldn't be firing Rod Rosenstein or Robert Mueller. And I think Abraham Lincoln had it right when he said that public sentiment is everything. Uh, with it, nothing can fail. Without it, nothing can succeed. And public sentiment is not going to be on the president's side. And I do want people to understand the power that each of them have to shape public sentiment. For re congressional Republicans, could that finally be the straw that breaks the camel's back? I think for some, I, I, I don't know. One of the disturbing things to me is to see so many Republicans who know that what's going on is wrong yet not say anything. I do notice something very interesting. So recently, two Republican members of Congress, Trey Gowdy and Ronnie Frelinghuysen, announced their retirements. Both of them were in committee chairmanships of powerful committees. Both were not termed out of those committee chairmanships. Ronnie Frelinghuysen mm -hmm. was chair of appropriations and Trey Gowdy's chair of oversight and they decided to not come back next year. That's enormously telling, and I think it shows the deep conflict that they have with seeing what's happened to their party and with the president and their own belief system. And I think they decided that the best way is to, to get out. Now, I thought of you, Congressman, recently when I read, uh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong here, um, Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, because he talks in there about members of the White House staff dealing with Donald Trump on a day-to-day -day basis um, privately among themselves and to friends questioning his mental capacity and whether he really is mentally fit for the office of President of the United States. You were one of the first ones to raise this uh, in the Congress. Do you feel vindicated by Michael Wolff's book? And do you still believe uh, that Donald Trump's mental capacity is uh, questionable? So I'm not a uh, mental health professional, uh, so I wouldn't be able to, to, to diagnose mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump, and I don't know whether or not he has a, seen and heard a, him a lot. medical issue with, yeah. with mental right. health. But I do know that based on what he says and his actions, you don't have to be a mental health professional to know that there is something not right. Uh, the President of the United States should not be urging government shutdown, should not be calling people treasonous for not clapping for him, shouldn't be referring to other countries uh, in vulgar terms. He's done a number of things uh, that make you question whether he is fit for office. And I continue to believe that he is not fit to be our president. And isn't it uh, maybe scary 
that um, anybody else, let's take the, you know, one of the reasons that it's a little frightening is that he's got his finger on the nuclear button or close to it, right? Correct. That anybody else in the chain of command for making a decision about launching a nuclear war has to take a mental examination, except the man who pushes the button, Donald Trump. Uh, that is the current state of law. Uh, that is correct. Should and there be a mental examination for who president of the United States? So I think a better way to address that issue is to put in more checks and balances on a nuclear launch approval process. So right now, it is very easy to launch a nuclear weapon. Yeah. It basically takes two people. It's the president and the Secretary of Defense. And under the law, the Secretary of Defense can't even object to the president's order. So basically what would happen is Donald Trump wakes up one day and would say, hey, I want to launch nuclear weapons. Secretary of Defense James Mattis would execute that order, go down to military chain of command, and missiles fly. And that's it. It's that easy. We need to have more people involved. Right. Should and we, we need to have Congress authorized. Should nuclear. we have a medical, mental health professional in the White House? I believe we should. We we already have mandated a physician, mm -hmm. and when that congressional law passed, at the time there was a stigma of mental health, and that's why they didn't mandate a mental health professional. I think we have now advanced and understand that mental health is more than physical health, and so, yes, I think we should have a mental health professional at the White House as well. Congressman, it's so good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for all the great work you're doing and all the leadership on so many uh, on so many issues. One of the most uh, outspoken members of Congress, and we love it. And uh, particularly grateful you take the time to join us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Congressman Ted Lieu. Hey, folks, have a great day. Don't forget, get your copy of From the Left at BillPressShow.com, and we'll see this you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.